And as we think about this matter of uh, cr the Christian life is a journey, and uh, certainly it's a journey of faith. The Bible says the just shall live by faith. And it's, it, it is oftentimes easier said than done <clears throat> because our human nature is we want to live by sight. Uh, we, we have to see it in order to want to live it. And today, we're going to take a journey uh, along with uh, the individual and those that were a part of this situation. And the journey, as you notice there in your outline, is the journey to Sinai or Mount Sinai. And uh, if you have your outline there or you can follow along in your Bible, the, the Word of God says in Exodus 31, verse 18, we'll start there, read into the first six verses of chapter 32. The Bible says, and he gave unto Moses when he had made an end of communing with him. And this is talking about God spending time. I love the word communing. We oftentimes use the word communion. And so here's the word communing with Moses upon Mount Sinai. God gave him two tables, or we oftentimes call them tablets, two tables of, of testimony, tables of stone, written with the finger of God. And when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down out of the mount, the people gathered themselves together unto Aaron and said unto him, Up, make us gods which shall go before us. For as for this Moses, the man that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we wot not what is become of him, or we have no idea what's, what's going on with this man Moses. We haven't seen him in quite some time. And so the Bible says that Aaron said unto them, Break off the golden earrings which are in the ears of your wives, of your sons, and of your daughters, and bring them unto me. And all the people break off the golden earrings which were in their ears and brought them unto Aaron, and he received them at their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool after he had made it a molten calf. And they said... These be thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. And when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made proclamation and said, Tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early in the, on the morrow and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and to drink and rose up to play. Now, we're probably all pretty familiar with this portion of Scripture. Uh, when you look at this, uh, just to give you a little uh, background here, uh, even though the man Moses is highlighted, God was the one that brought the children of Israel out of Egypt's land. And, of course, Egypt is a type of the world, and God brought them out by His mighty hand. There's so many things we can say, but uh, as, they, as they left Egypt, of course, they were in bondage there. They were slaves there. They were under the taskmasters uh, task there. And you think oftentimes how, uh, because Egypt being a type of the world, oftentimes represented that we, we end up, because we go the way of the world, we sin. And we find this is the same thing true here with the children of Israel, that they were just like sin has its way with us, that we give into it, we are enslaved by our sin, this is the first time in over 400 years that the children of Israel are free. I mean, can you imagine that? Now, of course, they hadn't lived 400 years, each one of them, maybe some of them around 100, maybe a little bit more, maybe a little bit less. The truth is, 
if you're living that kind of life in bondage, many times you don't live a long life. But they and their ancestors had lived in this situation, and now for the first time, they are free. And, and God leads them uh, with the, the man Moses, and as he leads them, he, he guides them by the pillar of fire and the pillar of cloud, and he leads them to what we know as the Red Sea. And of course, what a wonderful, miraculous thing as the rod of God is lifted and the Red Sea is parted and they walk across there on dry ground. And a lot of people always want to speculate and talk about, well, you know, Pharaoh's army and they talk about, you know, drowning and, uh, you know, but, but the truth is they did. According to the word of God, the, the Egyptian army drowned in the Red Sea. And as they come out of the Red Sea, what does God do? Just like he does in our lives, God provided for them. He provided manna and, and he provided other things for them in the wilderness. And then as they move on in their journeys and in their travels, we come to our text today where they're a few weeks into their journey and God asked this man by the name of Moses to come up to Mount Sinai so that he can meet with him. Now this is, this is what we see. I, I will tell you this, that it's God's heart to meet with all of his children. God wants to meet with you today. You came to God's house. I hope you came this morning saying, Lord, I need something for my life today. But many times in, in the Bible and even, even today, you'll see that God will meet with an individual that maybe God would use that person to help lead his people. And at this particular time, it was Moses. God's allowed me to be here almost five years now, and I don't take that lightly that God's allowed me to come and to try to help him lead his people. I want to make sure that I'm, I'm, I'm showing you God's way, leading you in the ways of God instead of what I want for this church. And that's what Moses, he went up to Mount Sinai to spend some time with the Lord. And while he was there, the Bible records he receives what we oftentimes just call the Ten Commandments. I love the thought here how the Bible says that they were written with the finger of God. Only God can write in a tablet of stone, right? But God gives him these commandments. And God was about to take them and him on this long journey we oftentimes call it life, the Christian life. But the whole reason it was going to take them on this journey was to strengthen their faith. How many of you this morning have faith in God? All right, put your hands down. How many of you, even though you have faith in God, know that you need to have your faith strengthened at times? See, all of us do. And the same thing is true. Now, notice, first of all, this morning, in this passage, I see a glorious journey. The Bible says, again, that, that when, when he had made an end of communing with him upon Mount Sinai, God's spending time. Now, there had been a day, if you remember in the Old Testament, even before this, where Moses comes upon the scene and there's a bush that's on fire, but the bush is not burnt. It's not consumed. And Moses there has an encounter. He spends time with God. Boy, the, the time that we spend in God is sweet time, is it not? 
And we see here how that Moses was God's chosen leader for Israel, and, and the reality is he was God's chosen leader from the time he was born. It was God's design for his life. His journey was an example of a man that, according to the word of God, he was a friend of God. Would that be said of all of us, that we are a friend of God? Look at Deuteronomy 34, verse 10. There arose a, 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 not a prophet since in Israel like unto Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. Uh, this man certainly was a friend of God. He was well favored in the eyes of the Lord. And the Bible says in Exodus 33, in verse 17, the Lord said unto Moses, I will do this thing also that thou hast spoken, for thou hast found grace in my sight, and I know thee by name. Do you know God knows who his children are? If you are a child of God this morning, God knows you. God knows you by name. Folks, listen, God's not some distant deity that doesn't know us and doesn't care about us. And this, this was a glorious journey because he was a friend of God. He spent time with God face to face. Now, I've never been in the very uh, physical presence of God, but I've been in the, the Bible tells us we can come boldly into the throne of grace. We can come face to face with God. We can find favor with God. How do we do that? Same way Moses did. Moses continually, we sang it this morning, he continually obeyed God. We heard it in our couples retreat, he continually honored the Lord. That's how we can, we can do that. That's how we find favor with God. And so as, as we think about this passage here, when he's on Mount Sinai, what is God doing in his life? Well, God was preparing this man. He was about to give him the greatest law book that has ever been given in history. And as we consider this this morning, notice letter A here, the reunion, how God was communing with him. Moses had been, uh, they, they say, 40 days without food or water. I mean, I have a hard time going four hours. 40 days. You ever, you ever been doing something? I, I think it was Brother Joe yesterday, or uh, maybe his wife mentioned, but sometimes you, we get so busy, so preoccupied with something that, that we don't even think about the fact, I haven't eaten all day. You ever done that? You're like, well, I haven't, I haven't had anything to eat. You know, I need to stop and, and to get something. And, and I think that it's a, quite a testimony for Moses that Moses was so into God, spending time with God, hearing from God, that he wasn't, listen, he wasn't worried about his physical food or water. He was just so enamored with God that that's all he was thinking about. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 9, these couple of verses here. The Bible records here in this passage, when I was gone up into the mount to receive the tables of stone, even the tables of the covenant which the Lord made with you, then I abode in the mount forty days and forty nights. <clears throat> I neither did eat bread nor drink water, and the Lord delivered unto me two tables of stone written with the finger of God, and on them was written according to all the words which the Lord spake with you in the mount out of the midst of the fire in the day of the assembly. And it came to pass at the end of 40 days and 40 nights that the Lord gave me the two tables of stone, even the tables of the covenant. What an amazing time. He wasn't thinking about what he needed. He wasn't thinking about what he was going to have for lunch. He wasn't thinking about his work day tomorrow. He was just thinking about God. 
You know, he was having a time with God. It was a, a glad reunion. It was a, it was a glorious reunion. But notice also, while he's there, he receives, secondly, the revelation. Again, God wrote this with his finger, and he gave it directly to Moses. Now watch this. He gave it to Moses to do what with it? To give it to the people. Now what do you hold in your hand this morning? The Word of God, right? God has, he, he didn't give it necessarily directly to you, but God has preserved it, he's kept it, to our generation. Now, why do you think God has kept his word around? Because what does he want us to do with it? He wants us to read it, he wants us to study it, to meditate on it, and to give it to others. See, we have the same responsibility that Moses did, to share the word of God with other people. When's the last time you shared whether it's a verse, whether it's maybe a thought, maybe it's the plan of salvation. When's the last time you shared some of God's words with someone else? Now, you know why you want to share it? Because you've spent time with Him. He, he gives you something and you get so excited about it that you're just like, I've got to give this to somebody else. You ever done that in your Bible reading, your devotional time? God gives you something, and you're just like, I can't wait to share that with somebody else. And, and that's the way you... What's that? Yeah, throughout the day, sometimes the thought that he gives you in your personal devotional life, many times God in my life I know has used that to where that thought that God gave me that morning will come up and I'll use that throughout the day. It's a wonderful thing when you see this because God has revealed it. Revelation, and we, we covered this a while back. I think it was on Wednesday evenings. But maybe if you weren't here, what is revelation? Well, here's a simple definition. It's the act of God revealing truth to human beings, to mankind, that they would not have otherwise known. Who wrote the first five books of the Bible? Moses. Moses. Okay. Now, here's a, here's a simple question. I'm just, this is just an illustration, example. If Moses wrote the first five, first five books of the New Testament, or the Old Testament, was Moses there on the days of creation? No. So, well, then how did he know how to write? What to write? God revealed it unto him. So, revelation is simply as this, just like in Moses' life on Mount Sinai, God revealed something to him. God spoke to the children of Israel, but he did it through Moses. You, look, you have family, you have friends. God wants to speak to them, and God is probably going to speak to them through you. But what does God want you to speak to them? His word. Because the only thing that's going to help them, are you with me this morning? The only thing that's going to help them is the Word of God. I, I, I really get encouraged when some of you, whether it's here at church, whether it's an email or a text message, and I've had this happen often. Many of you have, have trans, transmitted to me one way or the other, Pastor, I was talking to so-and-so, and, -so and uh, I wanted to be able to help them 
Uh, I'm looking for a verse on this. They ask me this. Uh, Pastor, how do I answer that? You know, whatever it may be. That tells me that you're doing what Moses was called of God to do, and that is to share God's word with them. And the people of God, they needed it. Remember, if it was, it's, if it's this journey of faith, how is our faith going to be strengthened by the word of God? And that's, that's what God was doing. He was going to speak to them. And, and when I think about Moses, well, look, Moses in his day, he didn't have the complete revelation of God. But we do. We have all 66 books. We have every word of God that God wanted us to have. It's called the Bible. See, we, ha- we actually have more revelation than Moses had in his day. And the Bible teaches us how to walk our journey of faith. 2 Peter 1.21, the prophecy, talking about the word of God. The prophecy came not in old time by the will of man. You ever heard somebody say that? They'll say, well, that's just man's book. That's what they'll say. I've, I've had people say that to me. Well, you believe that because, you know, some man wrote that. No, no, no. The Bible says prophecy came not by the will of man, but by holy men of God, how they spake as they were moved by who? The Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost. God himself had them write the words. Listen, when I do this often because I just want people to understand that when I'm reading from one of the epistles in the New Testament, and there are 13 of them, that God used Paul to write the words, that they were not Paul's words, they're the words of God. And that's why in the Old Testament you see the statement a lot of times, thus saith the Lord. So what are we talking about? We're talking about God, watch this, God revealing himself through his word. That's what you find when you read the Bible. You know what? The more you read the Bible, guess who you're going to get to know better? God. God's revealing himself to us through his word. Look at these couple verses. I want you to see them there in your, in your notes. Hebrews chapter 1. Look at these verses. And this is how the book of Hebrews, what a great book in the, in the New Testament. This is how it starts. Look at these first two verses. God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners, in other words, different times, different periods, different ways. You know, God, there's so many ways that God, for instance, look at the lesson this morning. God had Moses come up to Mount Sinai and God wrote on tables of stone. That, that's a pretty different way. You ever seen in the Old Testament where a donkey spoke? That's an interesting way that God revealed himself, right? Hey, there's, can anybody think of another way that maybe God revealed himself? What? The serpent? Yeah. The serpent spoke? What is she saying? In Genesis? No? Yeah, the, the snake, all right. Anybody else? The what? The bush on fire? Yeah? Yes, ma'am. Yes, God spoke to him. Yeah, there's so many ways that you find, so many different ways in the Bible that God spoke. How about this? Anybody ever heard about dreams in the Bible? Right? Daniel had dreams, right? How about Joseph? 
Remember how his brothers had a real problem with his dreams, you know? And, and they're like, wait a minute, you are going to rule over us, you know? There's so many ways that God reveals himself to us. And look what it says here in Hebrews chapter 1. God who at sundry times in diverse manners spake, watch this, he revealed himself, he communicated in time past unto the fathers by the what? So there's another way that God revealed himself through the prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Habakkuk. God used those men to reveal himself. You know, you think about that, all the judges in the Old Testament. And let's read on. And he hath in these last days, not only by the prophets, but he's spoken unto us by who? His son. Who's that? Jesus. You know what that means? The Bible says that in him, Jesus, dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Jesus said, if you've known me, you've known the Father. So, what? look, when Jesus came, he, he was God revealed to us. And, and so we see this here, how, how the Bible says that Jesus himself, the prophets, the word of God, all these ways, not just, now we're studying the immediate text this morning, God revealed himself to Moses as he gave him the tables of stone. So you, you see here the reunion. It was, look, up on that mountain, Mount Sinai, can you imagine being there, being Moses, getting, the, getting to meet with God, getting the tables of stone? I mean, boy, what a great time. Now, if you know the passage, and we, we read it maybe before some of you slipped in here, notice, secondly, it all changes, because look at the second point. There was a grievous juncture, because here's Moses having this great time with God, and notice what happens, the impatience of the people. Look in Exodus 32 in verse number 1, and when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down out of the mount, the people gathered themselves together unto Aaron and said unto him, Up, make us gods which shall go before us. For as this Moses, the, the man that brought us up out of, out of the land of Egypt, we what not what is become of him. We don't know what's happened to Moses. See, they, they were supposed, while Moses was up there, anybody else have a problem waiting and being patient besides me? <laughs> But that's what they were supposed to do. They were supposed to wait for the man of God. They were supposed to wait while Moses went up. Now, listen, again, 40 days is a long time. What is that? That's uh, almost six weeks? Two days short of six weeks, is that right? That's a long time. And they, they were supposed to wait, but what happened was they took their focus off of God and they put it on themselves. See, they thought to themselves, well, look, it's been two weeks, three weeks, four weeks, five weeks. You know, it's been almost six weeks now. And we don't know what's happened to Moses, Aaron. And it, it, you know, and it wasn't about Moses. It wasn't about what God was trying to give to Moses up there. It turned into, it's, it was all about them. You know, you came to church this morning. Can I tell you? I'm glad you're here, but it's not about you this morning. It's about God. It's about what God wants for you. And, and here they were, impatient. Listen to what G. Campbell Morgan said. He said, wait for God. Waiting for God is not laziness. Waiting for God is not going to sleep. Waiting for God is not 
the ab uh, abandonment of effort. Waiting for God means three things. Here's the first one. Waiting for God, Morgan said, is activity under command. Then secondly, he says, waiting for God is readiness for any new command that may come. And he says, thirdly, waiting on God is the ability to do nothing until the command is given. Just wait. You know, just wait on God. But what did the people do? They started to doubt. Hey, this man Moses, he's been gone a long time, Aaron. Not only did they doubt, but they started to demand things their own way. They decided, hey, look, we're just going to take things into our own hands. And so what did they want to do? Well, remember, God, he's about to give them, Moses is receiving. Does anybody know the first commandment? I am the Lord thy God, thou shalt have no other gods before me. And so what, down below, while he's having this great time with God, by the way, that ought to show us that we're, we're much better off spending time with God than spending time figuring out things our own way. And so here they are, instead of waiting on God, they say to Aaron, let us make what? Gods, little letter G. Isn't it sad how God wants, and that's always been his heart, is that he wants to be God. Now, he is God. But see, he's not on the throne of many people's hearts. And so here they are. They're, they're, they've, they've taken matters into their own hands. They demanded that Aaron would make a God, little letter G, for them to worship. See what impatience will do? That's, that's what happens when we run ahead of God. Instead of waiting. Look, I have played that waiting game. Before I came here in November, five years ago, I remember that waiting started for me in about April going into May. And for month after month after month after month, just waiting on God. My pastor kept saying to me, Brother Keeley, what do you think God wants you to do? And I kept looking at him and I kept saying to him, Pastor, I don't have a clue. I have, I have no earthly clue what God wants me to do. And so we see their impatience, but notice, I see that because of their impatience, it led to the idolatry of these people. Look, look back in chapter 32 of Exodus. Look at verse number two. So Aaron said unto them, when they said, hey, make us a God, he says, break off the golden earrings that were in their, in their ears, verse three, and they, they break off the golden earrings and they, they brought them unto Aaron, verse four, he received them. And he makes a molten calf. Verse 5, the Bible says, when Aaron saw it. that pathetic? The Bible says he saw it. He built an altar before it. And he made a proclamation and said, tomorrow is, notice these words, is a feast to the, to the Lord. Everybody see that? That's what it says right there. It's a, he, Aaron says he makes a proclamation. Tomorrow's a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early on the morrow and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings which by the way those were what God instructed them to bring to him and they brought them and the Bible says the people sat down to eat and to drink and to rose up to play so the gold that that let me ask you this do you remember where'd they get all that gold from from Egypt who gave them that gold yeah they spoiled the Egyptians but who gave them 
favor to receive all that? God. Remember the Bible says every good gift cometh down from above, right? I mean, you ever thought about this? I, I sit and think about things that God gave them instructions to build the tabernacle. Where'd they get all that material that they, you know, there was no Joanne fabrics. There was no Michaels. Where did they get all that from? They got it from Egypt. So, so here they are, they, they take all the gold and they took what was really God's and they changed it into something for the world. Now just think for a second. There are so many Christians and churches today that want to take the things of God and change it into the things of this world. Say, hey, Pastor, what are you talking about? Many of you have told me, Pastor, before we came to this church, we went to such and such church, and it was a rock concert. We went to this church, and they never opened the Bible. I mean, I could go on and on. Some of you know what I'm talking about because you've been there. Most churches today, they kind of resemble like a, a nightclub setting, real impromptu. Churches just become this casual thing for people. Folks, look, there's no doubt. God will meet us where we are. But after we meet him, we shouldn't stay there. God changes us. And this is what we see here is how these folks, they took what belonged to God and they changed it. Look what it says in your, in your notes there, 2 Corinthians 6, 16. The Bible clearly tells us, what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God, and God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God and they shall be my people. When you got saved, who took up residence in your life when you got saved? Holy Spirit. The Bible says your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. Remember what, remember what Jesus did twice in his earthly existence when they had set up the, the, the money changer tables in the temple? What did he do? Yeah, he overthrew the tables, right? Matter of fact, he grabbed a, a cord, he made a whip, and he drove them out. He says, my father's house will not be a house of merchandise, right? See, God doesn't want anything to pollute the place that he lives. And you think about what they're doing here in this passage. I mean, like so many today, what, are they, what were they doing? They were wasting and misusing what God had given to them. We do that a lot. Yes, sir. I'm just about to get there, but I'll answer it right now. Does anybody know that? Egypt, what about Egypt? Egypt was a land of idolatry. Yes. Well, here's, here's, a, here's a New Testament example. If you go, the book we call 1 Corinthians, 
the reason that book was written was because they were saved people. But after they got saved, the Bible identifies that when we're in Christ, we're either going to be a spiritual Christian or we're going to be a carnal Christian. A carnal Christian is somebody who lives their life by the flesh. They're saved because once saved, always saved. If they put their faith in Christ, but they're, they're allowing the flesh to dictate how, how they live. So here's Paul writing to a young church in what we call Corinth, the city of Corinth. And the whole reason God gave him that what we call book, that epistle to write to them was because they were saved, but many of them were, were slipping back into, because oftentimes, anybody ever struggle with something after you got saved? A lot of us, a lot of us do. So you're thinking right, Patrick, because, okay, they were saved. They were the children of God. God led them out, but for 400 years as a people, it had become so much a part of them. I grew up Catholic, and when I witnessed to my family or other Catholics, it's, it, they think about, that means I have to deny everything I've ever believed. Yeah, because everything you've ever believed, for the most part, is a lie. Because it's the teachings of the church. Now, they do believe the Bible is the Word of God, but they're adding to that the teachings of the church and papal authority. Does that make sense? So, good question. Yes, sir. Also, I mean, when they came out of Egypt, they were guided by a cloud and a day and a pillar of fire at night. Right? Yeah. So that was the manifestation of God they saw every single day. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Well, they 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 believe many Catholics believe the Bible is God's word, but it, but it's not their final authority. Yes. Yeah, because that's the measuring rod for them. Yeah. Does that make sense? All right. So when you, when you think about this passage here, and, and by the way, if you study the Old Testament, here's what you find. The children of Israel eventually went into, um, they, they, they eventually went into captivity in the Old Testament. And the, the sin that led them into captivity is what we're addressing here this morning which, by the way, is not just an Old Testament sin. It's something very prevalent still today, and God calls it idolatry. See, it was their idolatry that led them into captivity. And it's, it's sad that it is that way, but it, it is true. These people, like many today, what were they doing? They were giving their talents. They were giving their money. They were giving even sometimes their opportunity to the world. Look here. How many of you know, and, and I, again, uh, I'm just for sake of illustration, some of you probably know some pretty well-known people. One of them that comes to my mind is Elvis Presley, used to sing in church. Started singing for the Lord. I think we all know what happened with his life. So many people, God gifts them, God gives them talents, abilities, gives them opportunities, and what do they do? They squander them, they misuse them. That's exactly what they did here is they, they, God had given them the gold that they had and they misused it to make themselves something to replace God. Everybody got the picture this morning? So when you think about this, you know, again, the passage here, 
it's amazing because as you read on, here's what happens. Moses is up there. Does anybody know another individual that wasn't up there with Moses but was part of the way up in, in, the, in the Word of God that, that, that was between Moses and the people? Anybody remember? Joshua. And Joshua can hear all this noise. Now the people are, you know, they, they're, they're down there, and as the Bible says here, what is it, verse 6? Look at verse 6. It says uh, they brought the offerings, and at the end of verse 6, the people sat down to eat and to drink and rose up to play. In other words, they're, they're having the party of their life. And, and Joshua hears this noise from the camp, and he thought that war was breaking out. He, he thought, there, there's something going on down there. Now, some people, and, and you may differ on this, but when you look at that verse where the Bible says that Aaron, uh, verse 5, made a proclamation, and he said these words, tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. Some people believe that Aaron, in his own way, was trying to point the people to the true God. But the problem is, is that Aaron was doing it using Egyptian methods. Remember what happened when the Bible records that, that Uzzah and Ahiah drave the cart in the Old Testament? Anybody remember what they put on the new cart? They put a piece of furniture that, that God came down. It's called the Ark of the Covenant. Does anybody remember how God intended the ark to be transported? The, by the priests with the poles. And, and the Bible says they put the ark, now watch this, they put the ark on this new cart. So here they are, the Bible records that David's trying to bring the ark of God home to the city of David. And all of a sudden the oxen that are pulling the cart, they stumble. And so one of those two, Uzzah, puts up his hand to steady the ark because he didn't want it to fall, and he's dead. God killed him like that. Say, boy, that's pretty rough. Why would God do that? Because they disobeyed God. God said, this is how you are to do it. See, we get into trouble when we disobey, when we don't follow God's... God didn't say, I want you to find a new cart. What was da David... David decided, hey, listen, where did David... Here you go, Patrick. Where did David learn to put the ark on the cart? Anybody know the answer to that one? It's a group of people, starts with a P-H-I. Philistines. The Philistines used to put it... Well, how did the, the Philistines did it? Because... They didn't know God's word. They didn't know how God intended. So David said, hey, listen, the Philistines have been doing it, so we can do it. And look what happened. Someone lost their lives. And by the way, study that passage in 1 Chronicles 13. The Bible says that David was angry at God that day. Fear, David was afraid of God. The joy that was in David's life was gone just like that because he wasn't doing things God's way. See how important it is that we, we do things the way God wants. Now, notice here, and we'll, we'll wrap this up this morning. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 10, you cannot drink 
the cup of the Lord and the cup of devils. You cannot be partaker of the Lord's table and the table of devils. And in this passage of verse 36, listen to this. You study this out and you see if it's true or not, where the Bible says they rose up to play. Those words literally mean they're synonymous with fornication and adultery. This wasn't just some merry time. This was a a full-on idolatrous, sinful thing. In other words, their hearts were far from God. They had fallen into sin. Look what it says. Here's, Here's what the Bible says about it, 1 Corinthians 10, in your notes. Now, these things were our examples to the intent we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. Neither be idolaters as were some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Same wording. Where did, where did Paul get those words? God gave them to him, but it was going back to this passage in the Old Testament, how that they, begin, they, they began to fall into idolatry. And listen, God says, I'm going to give that to you as an example that you would not follow their example. So see, look, there was a, it was a glorious journey. I mean, Moses up there having a reunion with God. God gives him his revelation. And all of a sudden, what are the people doing down below? Well, they're, they're, they're getting impatient, waiting on God, waiting on the man of God. And they fall into idolatry. And then notice number three, what happens? We see a gracious judgment. Now, this is what I love about God is, is a lot of times you think of how hard God is or how mean God is. Can I tell you, God is good all the time. So you notice those two words that I gave you there for point number three. Yes, don't focus on the word judgment. Focus on the word gracious. Because God is just. But God is gracious. The grace of God. We see that here. I don't have time to develop this all the way out. But notice, first of all, the prayer of Moses. And I want you to see this in verse, chapter 32. Look at verse number 30 of chapter 32. It's, it came to pass on the morrow that Moses said unto the people, Ye have sinned a great sin, and now I will go up unto the Lord. Peradventure I shall make an atonement for your sins. Now, listen, that's a good man. He says, look, I'm going to go to God for you. Verse 31, And Moses returned unto the Lord and said, O this people have sinned a great sin and have made them gods of gold. Yet now, if thou wilt forgive their sin, you see that mark in your Bible after the word sin? There's been a lot of people who've wondered what that is. Did the translators put that in there? But you have to remember, Moses is standing in front of God. You ever, you ever gone before God and you don't know what to say? There, there's sin in your life and you really don't know how to put it into words? That's kind of what that is. And it says here that he says, if not, watch this. God, if you, if you could forgive them of their sin... And if not, what's those next two words? Blot what? Blot me. Who's the me? Moses. Moses said, look, if you can't forgive it, blot me, I pray thee, out of thy what? Book which thou hast written. Now, a lot of people believe that this, where he says thy book, that this is actually the first biblical reference of names being recorded in a book. A reference here. Probably a lot of people think that 
This may have been some sort of record of all the families of the nation of Israel. But Moses is requesting that, that you know, in other words, God, don't, don't forbid them from going into the promised land. And he says, but look, he says, if that's going to happen, God, then please blot my name. Take my name out of the book. You know what he's doing? He's interceding. He's praying for them. You know what that is? That's a beautiful picture here where it talks about thy book, a picture of how one day in the future God's going to open what's called the book of life. I hope your name's there. Because everybody's name that is written therein will one day spend all of eternity with the Lord. Paul mentions it in the book of Philippians. Notice he talks about, uh, he says, I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, help those women which labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and with other my fellow laborers whose names are in the book of life. Revelation chapter 20, look at the verse 15. Whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. See, God writes our names in a book. And see, Moses prays for these people. And then notice the letter B, the problem. You know what the problem of Moses? Here it is. Here it is and we're done. Moses could not he himself could not save those whose names were not written in that book. And guess what? You and I cannot save other people either. See, everybody must come to Christ on their own. If you're not saved this morning, understand that Jesus died so that he was that sacrifice that died once for the sins forever, the book of Hebrews says. And Moses, look, in his, he's enjoying this great time as he's communing with God, and the people are, are down below, and, and they're causing a grief in the heart of God because of their sin, because of their idolatry. They grew impatient, but the result of their disobedience was that God offered them a gracious judgment. And you know what God's grace is? That he was going to send his son to die for the sins of the world. This morning, listen, we need to understand the things that we do are going to affect others. And here's the best part is, God has saved you. If you're saved this morning, he's given you his record, his word. And what does he want you to do? He wants you to share it with others so that they can come to know the grace of God the way you have come to know the grace of God. What a wonderful day it is, right? That God's given to us. Let's pray. Lord, thank you again for this morning, for the word of God, for the lessons we learn even this great lesson this morning, bless it to our hearts. Help us to take it and, Lord, to live uh, as Moses lived and not to give ourselves over to the things of this world. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.